It's Time for Truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's Time for Truth exists to glorify God through the edification of His saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I am your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I am joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the podcast. We are happy that you have joined us again today as we continue our series, Working Through Our Church Distinctives. Uh, We hope that this is helpful for you as you get to know us, you get to know our church, you get to know uh, what are some of the distinct values that we care about as a body, things that we want to uphold, things that we want to conserve and preserve. And so we are uh, grateful for this opportunity and this platform to be able to talk about these things and to work through them with you. And we hope that uh, that you can interact with us further as well. If you have any questions that you would like to uh, follow up with or that you would like us to address, please feel free to reach out to us. That's truthfamilybiblechurch at gmail.com. We'd be glad to um, answer your questions, whether it's uh, in the email or whether we bring it forward for everybody on the podcast. We, we'd be happy to do that so that we can uh, answer any of your questions. Well, before we jump into our exciting topic for today, I know I definitely feel uh, uh, excited and energized about this topic. And so uh, before we get there, though, uh, Jim, how are you today? Yeah, me too. I'm excited. I, I love family integration. It's a great topic. I can't wait to get into it. But I'm having a nice, easy week, definitely in comparison to yours. You've had uh, quite the energetic and busy week, and you've got a lot of things going. So uh, comparatively, this has been a great, easy week for me, although I am making a big move. So 12 years ago, next month, um, I had a bike accident 12 years ago and broke my leg pretty bad. And I ordered a bike yesterday. Oh boy. So I've not ridden in in, on another bike in 12 years. And you're just going to hop back on the bike. You're not going to get the stationary bike first. No, no, (laughs) we're going to go for the bike. So yeah. So it'll be interesting. It'll be a completely different bike. Uh, When I was in Chicago, I was biking pretty seriously. I tend to do everything to an extreme. So I was biking 20 miles a day. And then on the weekend, I would go for a long 50, sometimes 75 miles. I've never done a hundred, but yeah, I was pretty into it. Uh, This time it'll be much more casual. It'll be not quite a beach cruiser, but pretty close. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So. Well, that sounds, that sounds great. Well, good for you. Yeah. Well, our topic for today, as you mentioned, is our, our church distinctive that is called family integration. Our website says, we value the multi-generational makeup of the body of Christ, and we love to worship as a whole church family. That means we do not separate the body into age-segregated groups, but instead welcome all ages to participate in the corporate service of worship. Additionally, our aim is to encourage and equip parents to disciple their own children at home, for which Sunday school is no replacement. Now, uh, you hear that phrase, family integration, and it may sound new to you, or you may be tempted to think that this church has We've developed some new and novel style of doing church. We're very inventive, we're very creative, we're very uh, cool. But uh, family integration um, is certainly not uh, not that. Uh, I assure you that that is not the case, that we've come up with something new. But the phrase uh, family integration is a new way to describe what used to be known just as church. (laughs) The problem 
is that the modern way of doing church has become the normal or new tradition of church. However, it is relatively young. The way we do church today, again, is relatively young. And we will talk about the how and the why of modern church worship. But because what we are doing today at TFBC is not typical for most churches today, it has come to be described as family integrated. But all we are trying to say is that we are going back to an older understanding of what the church is, how discipleship works, and putting the primary authority and responsibility for the training up of children in the faith in its rightful place. And so an older and better understanding of the church uh, was family integrated, and we'll define all of these things as we go along. But let's start by by describing what family integration looks like at TFBC. When you come to TFBC, you'll notice that there are no childcare drop-off stations. Uh, There are no pager systems. Uh, There are no classrooms. There are no Sunday school, no children's church, and not even a nursery. Now, what that means is families come and we worship together, all ages, from infant, newborns, uh, to toddlers, to preschool, to elementary school, to middle school, to high school, to college age to single, to married, to parents, to seniors, men, women, boys, girls, from every station in life, we gather together as one body to worship. Wow, what a, what a concept, right? And, and by the way, there is no other conception prescribed for the church in Scripture. And we'll get into some passages here in a bit, but it's important that you know that we do it the way we do it because we think it is best, and we think that it conforms to biblical principles, and we think that there are problems in methodology and results of other methods of doing church, and we do it the way we do it because we love the way we do it. Uh, We think that there is great value in the way in which we are structured and the way in which we seek the unity of the body by the way in which we gather. Now, one caveat to our family integrated structure, we don't have an issue with having a nursery or some place for mothers to change diapers, to nurse their babies. We, We get that there is value in providing a space for moms to deal with ones in privacy. But our meeting place uh, is a school gymnasium, and we have sought to make room, and we we do provide some private spaces and some comfortable chairs for moms the best we can. We know that we, especially with our baby boom, we we have got to uh, keep that in mind. We have to be considerate. We have to be creative. Uh, But we have a a gymnasium that we meet in, and we'll continue to, to think of and try to improve our accommodations for uh, mothers, especially with little ones. But we encourage young families to be with the whole body and to have their little ones with them. Uh, It's a joy to have families worshiping together and seeing them lead their children in the ways of the Lord, disciplining them to um, to learn and, and, uh, and to be a part of the worship service. We, this is part of training them, and this is part of getting them used to the idea and the, and the culture of the church, that they are part of what we are doing. And uh, now this is a, really just a kind of a side note here. Um, it, it's really important to understand that one of the great elements of having our children with us is teaching them the discipline that when God, especially uh, during the preaching time, that when God's word is being spoken, they have a role to play. And you know what that role is? That role is you are to be quiet, you are to sit still, and you are to do your best at listening to God's word being preached. 
And from the youngest of ages, when children are brought up in that way, when they when those expectations, those, those disciplines are built into them, that they they are taught to value the the public whole church gathered worship service. That is something that they grow up with. That is something they learn to love because it's not out there different um, from what is happening in what we used to call big church, right? You had kids' church, and then you had big church. And uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but it's such such an important understanding uh, that there's great value in in doing that that way and raising our kids and disciplining them to be a part of the worship service. Now, uh, to frame uh, our the rest of our discussion, we'll talk next about the biblical passages and the principles that we see as relevant for how we structure church. And then we'll talk about some of the influences for why the church went away from the traditional or integrated model for doing church and how it became uh, today the new norm. And then we'll give some encouragement and practical wisdom for how to thrive in this family-integrated model. We won't get to all of it today. We will have another follow-up episode on this. Um, but that's where we want to go. We want to talk about, you know, how did we come up with this? How do we understand this? Where did this come from? Uh, what are some of the, the biblical foundations for the way in which we do church? Now, when it comes to biblical passages and principles, we, we start with the understanding that God designed humanity to live and to function in families. Adam and Eve were created for marriage, and marriage, of course, is the good and normal environment for children to be born raised and trained for life in the world under the authority and the lordship of Christ. And families then live in communities of other families where we do things together. We work together. We play together. We eat together. We we just do things together. That's that's part of families living in community with one another. That is the normal design of God for the world. And then when it comes to the history of redemption, We see that God chose to take a childless family in Abraham and Sarah and to give them a son in their old age. And what is significant is that God covenanted with that family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his family became Israel, and they were loved by God in a special way. But remember, Israel isn't just a nation, but a family. Israel is a big family tree. And And when it comes to the New Testament, it isn't that God went to the Gentiles in order to get away from the covenant family of Israel. Rather, the Gentiles were grafted into the spiritual tree, Romans 11, or put another way, we were adopted into the family. How is that? Well, it is because there is one people of God who are all saved by grace through faith, all part of the saving purposes of God through the work of Jesus Christ. We have been gathered into that one family of God as children of Abraham, As Paul points out in Galatians 3.29, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed or descendants or children, heirs according to promise. To be Abraham's seed or descendant is to be part of the family of God by grace through faith. And we're part of God's family through Abraham's family because Jesus, being the singular seed of Abraham, the seed of the woman, who, who makes in him one family of faith, all united in Christ and all brought together into the family of God. And so history, and the future as well, are about God creating a giant family tree. The church is referred to as the household of God, Ephesians 2.19, 1 Timothy 3.15. Jim, you've done a lot of 
of study and thought on this idea of household, right? Those are, it's an important concept for us to understand how the church is viewed even in the scripture. Oh, and we see it in the Old Testament as well. You talked about that, and I think it's important, so I'll hit on it. Maybe I'm duplicating, but Deuteronomy 31, assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, Mm -hmm. and the sojourners, so even people that are outside of the people of Israel, bring in the people that are working, welcome guests, exactly, that they may hear and learn from the fear of the Lord. This is the idea of it was always meant to be the family. It was always meant to be public. It was always meant to be in a gathering, and the children were there. Uh, we're, of course, studying uh, the Decalogue, and, and Israel is gathered at the base of Mount Sinai, and the whole congregation, right, the whole people, the entire nation is standing, gathered at the base of the mountain, and including children who feel the ground quake, who hear the thunderous voice of God. The children were present. Right. right? And, and that continues every generation. In Joshua 8, it's the same thing. He's rereading the Decalogue. He's rereading the law. And all the people, including the children, are there. That's right. I think the same was for Ezra as well. Yep. Whenever they read, that's right. they reread the scriptures because... So this tradition never changed. It didn't change until very recently. Very recently. And so, we'll get into that. Right. That's very good. Uh, and so in a family, of course, you've got parents and you've got children. The father is the head, the wife his companion and suitable helper in subordination to her husband, and the children are in subordination to both parents. And as they function in mutual love and purpose together, taking dominion, building, serving, and enjoying one another, families do so together. And when they sit down to eat, it is basic and normal that you all sit down together. The parents, the babies, the young children, the teenagers, even grandma and grandpa join in. When you have a family gathering, it's the families of that larger family that all come together. That's when the cousins and the aunts and the uncles, the grandparents, the siblings, uh, sometimes even more distant relatives like great aunts and second cousins and third cousins once removed. The point is that the whole family comes together and has fellowship. They have gifts to, they give gifts to each other. They sit and they listen. They stand and they talk. They set up. They tear down. They they clean up. They play. And the, and the point is, is that a family is everyone together. Now, when we get to the New Testament, we put some of these things to the test and we find out how Jesus himself thought about children being present during his teaching ministry. In Matthew 19, verses 13 and 14, it says, Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now, of course, this is a very famous passage, of course. Uh, let's, let's just give it a little bit of thought, though. Now, Jesus is teaching in Judea, and he just got done with some very challenging words about divorce and adultery, and even comments about eunuchs. Okay, so we're, we're dealing with some, some very, uh, shall we say, even adult conversations. And, and Jesus did not have his flannel graph, apparently, that day, though. Uh, He didn't come with an age-appropriate, that's in quotes, right, an age-appropriate lesson. Jesus came with the deepest of teaching. He engaged in controversy and confrontation with the Pharisees, by the way. This, This was played out in public with families present, and yet verse 13 says that following his teaching, parents started bringing their children to Jesus. And by the way, the children were not in the children's wing eating goldfish crackers and doing coloring pages. They were not. They were there. They were present. 
Uh, the children were with their parents under the same teaching at the same time, because as Jim pointed out, this was the normative pattern that families went and sat under the rabbis together. And Jesus loved that they were there and that they were brought to him. For the parents, it was important for their children to be there, to hear the voice of the Messiah. And this was this is one of the things as I even re-meditated on this again. Um, here, imagine for a minute, Israel, throughout their, their long and storied history, anticipating the head crusher, anticipating the, the seed of the woman, the promised Messiah, the, the one who was going to establish the kingdom, the one who was going to bring about the, the, the joy of Israel. The white horse savior. Right, the white horse savior. And, and yet, oh, sorry, sweetie, th- this isn't really that important for you to be around. Uh, you, th- this is too heady for you. This is No, no, they were like, the Messiah is, uh, uh, is among us. We want our little ones to be here. We want him to bless our children, and we want him to pray for them. What an, what an amazing sense that they would have had in their heart that, of course, we want our children to be there with Jesus. And I would say even challenge them. So, you know, I can imagine some of the discussions on the way home asking dad hard questions, yeah. which is so important. That's right. That's exactly what you want. That's right. You don't want to look, Dad, look at the coloring page I filled in. Well, and you just teed me up for uh, just a story and an illustration we remember. Um, so we've we've done this even in churches that were not uh, so-called family integrated, when we were even at Grace Community Church um, with Sunday school and so forth. We had our uh, little ones with us um, in s- Sunday school. We had them with, a, which was a, you know an adult and mixed age Sunday school class. We had them with us in in big church. We trained them from the earliest ages to um, to worship with us. So we moved to Idaho, and I was a uh, shall we say a long term candidate early on when we first moved here at um, at a church and uh, considering me to be uh, possibly the pastor there. And uh, we started off just attending, and they had an interim pastor at the time. And uh, this uh, gentleman um, led the service and gave the message. And on the way home, to your point, Jim, about the kids asking questions of their parents after the service, uh, Luke was, I think, four or five years old, probably about five years old. So kindergartner, okay? Luke's in the back seat. We're hardly down the road from the church. And he asks the question, why did the pastor just tell stories? (laughs) And to us, it was just a moment of pride because what we, what, what he, uh, from a young age, had been taught and had been sitting under was the preaching of John MacArthur, the preaching of Pastor Bill Shannon, that he had been sitting under solid biblical teaching. And when he didn't have it, he knew there was something different. And he thought there was something wrong because there was. We were, we were telling stories but they were stories about the pastor's life and, and all that, as opposed to a, a solid exposition of the Word of God. And a five-year-old could tell you the difference. Isn't that amazing? And that was a beautiful thing. And I, I, I think that's one of the things that we, we, you know, we overlook and we don't recognize is, is value there. But here's the, the people of, of Israel. They are sitting at the feet of Jesus, and of course they wanted their children to be there, to hear from him, 
um, the one whom all Scripture was pointing to and speaking of, they, of course, didn't want their children to miss Jesus, and they brought them forward again to meet him, and they also wanted Jesus to bless their children and to pray for them. But it was a misguided uh, group of disciples that rebuked the parents and the children. You know, hey, don't you know that the Messiah has bigger and better things to do than to deal with children right now? And this was actually a, a pretty... Uh, a pretty terrible thing for the disciples to do, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But I don't think the disciples had a problem with the children being present for the teaching with their families. I don't think that was the issue. That was normal. The That would have been just absolutely ordinary for uh, that time. The issue was the commotion afterwards, the little bit of chaos of little ones all around, of thinking more highly of their own personal peace and comfort than of the precious opportunity to be close to Jesus. And so the the words in response from our Lord were very firm. The disciples gave the parents a rebuke that the the children should not be brought forward. Jesus rebuked them, permit the children and do not get in their way. Now that's a statement. You adults get out of their way. Let them be a part of the gathering. Let them come to worship, to be blessed, and to be prayed for. And we saw that continue even in Paul's ministry. Paul had children with him present when he was teaching. And even in his letters, he expected children to be there. In Ephesians 6, it says, children, children. obey your parents. He's, he knows that it's going to be read to the family. Correct. That's the expectation. So scripture actually speaks of this being... I would even say it's 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 a clear guideline for us. I I, I totally agree, uh, and so parents and, and church leaders are, are more to, uh, today too often more like the disciples here than they would like to admit. And why is that? Well, first, it's because we have a low view of the gathering of God's people. This is so important, guys. Do you believe that God meets with His gathered people? Do you believe that the presence of God is special when the body of Christ gathers? to sing to him, to pray to him corporately, to hear his voice in the reading and the preaching of Scripture. Because again, that's the other thing, Jim. When when we read the Scripture and when we preach, the we are hearing the voice of God through the Scripture. Right. That's so important. And similarly then to the parents who have their children with them at the feet of Jesus when he was doing his earthly ministry— uh, do you believe that Jesus, when he said that there that where there are two or three gathered in my name, represented as the smallest gathering of the church, of course, to extend further to the greater or larger gathering, and note that the gathering is in his name, we've gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for a particular purpose. This is this is just one chapter, by the way, this is just one chapter before the episode of the disciples rebuking the children for coming, okay? So this is this is recent. One chapter before in Matthew 18, when God's people are gathered in his name, he is present among us. Jesus said this also in the context of his instruction about church discipline, which the children need to be present for. The examples and the warnings are for them. But the problem is that the church doesn't treat the gathering of the saints as a special opportunity to gather with the family in the presence of Christ. This is an opportunity for, for us to, 
to have a, a family meal, to have a, a, a family message. This is, this is family worship just on the bigger scale with all of our brothers and sisters and cousins. We treat it, though, today too much like a concert. We want it to be sterile and totally comfortable. And I'm going to get, a, get way ahead of myself if I'm not careful here, but we treat it as an opportunity to have adult time away from the children. No, Jesus' admonition is get out of the way of the children and instead bring them and welcome them with your family to worship. This is a family get-together on the Lord's Day. It's, it's crazy, the idea of children's church. We would never say they can have their own church building and go off and have their own church with another adult. I mean, it just, it's just it's so illogical to break them out. Well, it's a church divided. It's a church divided, yeah. It's yeah. a church and, divided. And they'll say, oh, Jesus can be present anywhere. And there's 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 some aspect of truth to that, but of there course. is un, unequivocally an aspect of gathering together to worship. Jesus clearly has a, um, gives the sense that uh, the gathering of his people is special and again, where he says, where he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, um, there I am. Like there is a presence of Christ among His people, and when when we are gathered with Him as our head, right? It, it, it it's a special time. Why would we not welcome and actually expect that our children be with us and present? Yeah, it would be it would be really odd if we excluded thirty to thirty five year old males. Right, if if we broke out, it seems a, very arbitrary. Right, but that's my whole point. Right. Is, is is it is arbitrary? Right. So second, uh, we are like the disciples because we don't want to be bothered by little children. We all want to have and to be around children who are well behaved and well disciplined. And we'll, we'll talk about some of the principles of that later. But our expectation of church is that everyone either comes with it all figured out so that I can be unbothered and so that I can be comfortable and so that I can feel like I got the most out of my experience of worship. But that's not how it works in a family. Sometimes as a family, you're still working on stuff. Sometimes you have a little one whose parents are working it out. They're trying to train their child and maybe they're struggling, but that is real life in a family. And instead what we try to do is we try to sterilize church uh, we we try to we try to just make it in, in an environment where we are unbothered and we don't have to deal with uh, the realities of life in the family and little children who are also figuring things out. So instead of only being annoyed, and instead of being undisciplined yourself, look, I think some some of the challenges that people have in a family integrated church that are bothered by distractions is because they themselves are undisciplined rubberneckers. That every, any little noise. Uh, any little noise, they want to jerk their head around to take a look at it to, so that they, for what? How about we, because sometimes we have to discipline our own selves to not be so distracted. Sometimes you have to fight for attention. You have to fight to pay attention. You have to fight to stay awake. Well, you have to fight sometimes to not be as distracted as you, you could be by every noise, by every child that cries out, uh, by every father who's taking his child out to to handle that child or to discipline them. A loving family should pray for those parents who have brought their toddler or their infant to church. And even better, some people will offer them counsel, offer them advice, right? Offer to sit with them, maybe offer, maybe encourage them that, that you're happy that they're there, right? Uh, maybe it's uh, while they take care of their fussy one, 
uh, they've got another, other kids that could use a little bit of, uh, of other supervision and encouragement and help. Yeah, in reality, everybody that walks into church is working something out. Yeah, that's great. Everyone is dealing with something, Danny. And, you know, you think about this, how many churches where you walk in and someone says, how are you doing today? And everybody's doing good. That's right. Everybody's doing good. And that's just not reality. Right. But part of the issue of, of this environment is sometimes the, the things that we're struggling with are put out into the open. Right. <laughs> and, and, and then that makes us uncomfortable. But we ought to be those who uh, can love each other, encourage each other, pray for each other, be humble and not so bothered by the reality of children in the service. And so we, yeah. work, we work through it. Totally. Now, what the modern church uh, often has done is, is that they have pursued the personal peace and the comfort of the adults, just like the disciples did here in Matthew 19. And they have outsourced, they have commercialized, they have looked down upon the place of children in the life of the family, and they have instead bought into a worldly ideology. We'll, we'll get more into that. But they've divided the church by age and class. They have encouraged children to exit the worship service so that selfish adults can feel better about themselves while other adults are not gathered together. Why are those other adults not gathered together? Because they're off handling all the kids. They're in the they're in the other classes, they're in the babysitting rooms. And we can tell ourselves all day that we have the best interests of the children in mind, but that is not historically true, nor is it anywhere close to the truth of what is actually good for children. But Jesus says, permit them, do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. This is a powerful statement, and I believe that Jesus is giving a summary statement here of his prior teaching that the disciples once again did not take to heart. Okay, So Matthew 19 comes after Matthew 18, where we already heard, uh, talked about the idea of the presence of Jesus among those who are gathered in his name. Uh, Jesus discusses also in Matthew 18 the nature of children and the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them. And you, I have to, this was an epiphany for me years ago. And you go, wait, what? Where did he get a child? <laughs> did he send someone off to, to the uh, uh, nursery? Or did he send someone off to, to another building to go grab a child? The paging system. Right, right yeah. That somebody's pager went off. Uh, no, the reality is the child was there. The child was close. He just came forward. He just came forward, right? He just he just re reached over, grabbed a child and said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. They want to ask about who's greatest. And he's like, how about you start by becoming converted like a child? That is the way you enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a PG-13, maybe, or is, this, or is this rated R? This is a real heavy, this is a heavy concept for a child. It would be ready for, it'd be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck. Okay, picture Jesus has a little child. He's either got his, the child is on his lap or the child, he's got his arm around the child and he's telling all the, the disciples, better that a heavy millstone be hung around your neck if you cause one of the least of these pointing at this little child to, be, uh, to, to stumble 
And it's better, it's better for you if you're drowned than to receive the judgment that's coming to you. He'd be reported to Child Protective <laughs> Services today. <laughs> uh, how you how know, dare you teach that, well, that, that vulgar idea of death to a young child? Oh, this is not age-appropriate, Jeff. Right, not age-appropriate. Age appropriate. Exactly. Now, one of my Bible study, uh, again, epiphanies happened uh, a long time ago, reading a similar text. It wasn't this one, but it was a similar one. And it's the disciples, again, having a discussion. In, and in verse 2, it says that Jesus called a child to him. And as I mentioned, this 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 closeness of children, just uh, this is narrative, right? This is just describing the scene. He grabs a child, he he calls a child forward, he takes a child to himself, and and, and they're not far removed from him. And that's a, a huge point. Mark nine thirty six says, taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, very that that closeness and that love that that he he said to them. And in these biblical episodes, Jesus hasn't dumbed anything down, and that's that remarkable element of Jesus is teaching, just like a pastor would preach the uh, heavy topics and important uh, concepts from the pulpit, reading from God's Word, not shying away from any text, the children are present because that is the way Jesus did it as well. And in these episodes, Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and he'd be drowned than to face the retribution of God on that child's behalf. The point of Matthew 18 is that little children who believe in Jesus are to be received because they are full-fledged members of that kingdom. He says, uh, Jesus' admonition to receive them as we would receive him. It says he loves him. And he does say, by the way, uh, I, I might have just skimmed over that, um, he, he mentions the children who believe in Jesus. So it, it, he loves them, and he draws them close. And so this is not out of reach for children. And I've heard a great analogy of the dependency that kids have, that children have on adults and on on things to protect them because of the need and how that parallels our need to be dependent on God. Well, what do they need more than anything in the world is good biblical teaching. That's right. And they're, and they're so trusting. Right. And that's why it's so important for a sound ministry of orthodox teaching, of leading them in the paths of truth and righteousness, that they not be led astray by false teaching and by negligent um, ignoring of truth and things that they need to be equipped in. So yes, all of those things are important, and they need to be, they need to know that in, in sitting underneath the teaching of God's Word is where they belong. That's where they belong. And that's where- The best teaching that's available. That's right. The best- you know, because right. and we know this, they consume far more than we think. They consume and remember far more. Oh yeah, uh, we we certainly saw that too as we were raising our kids as uh, when they were uh, littler. You know, I remember one time, especially um, Luke was little and he was uh, sitting there. We were, we were in big church, uh, sitting under Pastor MacArthur's preaching, and and uh, he was sitting quietly doing a good job, and he was, I think, just coloring or scribbling or whatever he was doing. And uh, he was very, he was very little, but he, uh, Pastor MacArthur said, okay, turn in your Bibles to Luke. Well, that's his name, right? And he, like, it didn't appear that he was paying attention, but then suddenly he perked up and was like, hey, that's my name type of thing. They're, they're listening. They're, they're, right. There's more happening there. And they get, and that's the thing too, I'm getting ahead of myself, but one of the principles for, that we've learned for discipleship and as well as education 
uh, is that when you expect more, you get more. Teach up, not across. That's right. That's right. Do not, this whole, this myth of age, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. The myth of age appropriateness. But um, when we get further on, Jesus is identifying that the kingdom of heaven is populated only by those who come in the manner of a child. And so the reality is that humility, joy, the innocence of a child, that dependence, that very uh, trusting nature of, of a child, um, full of love, is the only way that anyone enters heaven's kingdom. And so really, uh, children are an object lesson for the adults so that the adults actually learn and, and see, see when we, that's the thing, a beauty of God's design for family, right? What is a marriage supposed to remind us of? Ah, the relationship of Christ and his church. What should children remind us of? Ah, the way that we enter the kingdom of heaven. Because all adults must enter in the form of a, the way a child does. That's right. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, uh, he is summarizing, I believe, that that kingdom entrance for everyone is by the standard of childlike faith, and that little ones who believe in Jesus are received, they are loved, and they are protected by God and are welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. And since that is the view of Jesus, when people were gathered to him and when he was ministering and teaching, then it is proper for the church to gather as one family of all ages, despising none of them, infant cries and disciplining parents, walking dads and cuddling moms, all of them should be welcomed as a part of the family gathering, the family church. Now, before we get into some practical counsel and encouragement, um, again, that'll be left for another episode. What is the deal, however, with the modern church and the idea of children's church, youth group, singles groups, and Sunday school? Well, there are several elements to consider, and, and we're going to address the last of that little list there as the first, Sunday school. Uh, what's with the idea of Sunday school? And really, in today's American era, how can you possibly be a good church without a children's ministry or Sunday school? Well, it turns out that Sunday school hasn't always existed. They first appeared in Britain in the 1780s, and they spread to America in the 1800s. And what you had in society at that time was a combination of the Industrial Revolution and ungodliness combined, which amounted really to slavery and the excesses of child labor. And what was happening was that Many children, some of them uh, orphans, were forced to work in factories for over 12 hours a day, six days a week. They were illiterate and they were uneducated. And so what happened was some Christians began to develop a solution, Sunday school. The only day off for the children was Sunday, and so they developed Sunday school. They were not, by the way, they were not an hour attached to Sunday service. That's not what Sunday school was. They were separate from church, and they were literal schools. The Bible was simply the core of their educating curriculum. The, the Bible was the key text as they learned to read by reading the Bible. They learned to write by copying verses from the Bible. They, they took them through a basic catechism, and they were taught spiritual practices of prayer and hymn singing. It was a very positive element, but it was focused on the ideas of education and, and literacy. This was a substitute program for the failures of culture and the struggle of poor slave factory workers who struggled to care for their own families. And so Sunday school uh, was the effort. It was a charity 
for poor people whose children were illiterate because they weren't going to school. They were working in the factories super long hours, uh, six days a week. And so the uh, some people understood, hey, the lack of education and illiteracy is a problem. And so how do we resolve that? And Sunday school was that option. <coughs> yeah, this is a whole nother podcast, but it takes me down that thought process of a world chasing money, the industrial right. revolution, fathers who have been demasculinized. Now they're on a factory line instead of on an anvil or out on the farm and children following that because of basically chasing money. People just end up being cogs in a machine, right? as opposed to individuals made in the image of God with, with the respect needed to, to be given to families. And when poverty and all of these things are, are, are thrown into that, you have the powerful elite and lording over these poor families. I, that's why I said it's, it amounted much to uh, slave labor. Um, this, was, this was some measure of trying to uh, solve for that, this problem. And we'll do a podcast on that in the future on economy, but it's this idea of as these large systems of government, even large corporations that are woke, as these things fail and break down these complex systems, I believe we will see more and more localization. Meaning, get in a smaller group, plant a garden, have some food, simplify your life, don't chase money. Yeah. Those are really important concepts. No, yeah, we're, we're going to need, we're, we're going to have to, deal with some of the, um, we have to come up with other solutions, right. just like some of these people, these other well-meaning Christians were seeking to love these these people because the parents were not able to provide for their children the education and the, the things that they needed to, um, to have them well-rounded uh, people. And so this was meant for love for these children and for these families. But again, with the development of child labor laws and public education, there was no longer a need for Sunday schools, and so they, they, they don't exist anymore in their original form. You do not have multi-hour uh, efforts of schooling children in reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, and, and even those elements of spiritual formation. But with the close, uh, close connection to the church, um, this was again a, a Christian enterprise of charity, and with a change in the theological emphasis— Churches incorporated Sunday school into the ministries of the church, and so some of the some of the problems of this stem from the original design of Sunday school, which is to provide for the children what the parents weren't providing, and it is to see the Sunday school then as necessary and even the exclusive place for teaching of Scripture and spiritual disciplines as the job of the church, instead of returning that responsibility and authority to the normative place, the proper role of parents, as described in Scripture, being the leaders and primary disciplers of their children, the church replaced the family. And originally it was positive and well-meaning in a very ungodly and unbalanced environment, but the continuation of Sunday school has become for many, and if not for most Christian families, the exclusive discipleship effort for children, because the job of discipleship is seen to be the churches, the, the, the institution of the church, and not the parents. And, and where we would say that fathers and mothers are to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, parents are to read the scriptures, to pray with, to pass on the faith. And the church is not to be a replacement for the family, but to, e to be the equippers of the family, to take their responsibility and to shepherd their children. So this is about seeking to have families uh, competent to shepherd and to give their children 
what God has called them to give them. Yeah, and I think about discipleship, and so few <clears throat> churches disciple well. And I don't even think we do it well yet. I think that we can do a lot of things better, but it's this idea of every male adult should be discipling and discipled. I mean, it should be a constant idea that you learn from, and that's how you get better at parenting, is talking and discipling with other parents who do things well. Well, it's multi-generational as well. You nailed it, Jim. And well, let's talk about that. The reality is we need our people at TFBC, right? Those who are listening, uh, we need you to buy in to that understanding that you need to be discipled and you need to be discipling. And you have an environment with multi-generational, not just integrated children. We are an integrated church. We have older people with gray beards and have been around the block and have experienced things, not only in business, but in raising your children and things that you did well, things that you didn't do well. I mean, all of that is available to everyone and it needs to be shared. Absolutely. You should be able to tell people, um, follow me as I followed Christ. And by the way, here's where I didn't follow Christ. So please don't follow me there. Right. Uh, I want to warn you about that pothole in the road. Right. Uh, I, I drove right through it and and got a flat tire. And I think this is part of what you said about, you know, you separate the kids that way things are, they're not real. It's not even real world. It's just a, everything's fine. The children are off and everyone's comfortable and we're going to hear a good message and hear some music and hopefully they're safe. Right. You know, has, has the church done its background checks right on everybody security trained? That's right. Yeah. All, all those, all those other elements. And you go, wow, this is like a, a really big deal that churches that's why I said outsourced and commercialized. Uh, you're now dealing with uh, all sorts of security, background checks, and um, curriculum, and all these uh, other things. Uh, not to mention, again, all the people who have to be involved in that, who many times are not in the worship service. Uh, also, if you're talking children's church as a phrase. Yeah, the complexity and the shallowness versus the simplicity and depth of what we do. Oh, man, that's a great phrase, so. Jim. Yeah, that's that's a great way to look at it. Well, then you add to the, that, all of that, the ideology that, that has been adopted by many in the church, and that is the beliefs and the assumptions of the public school model. This is the model of age segregation. Some people are, are uncomfortable with the idea of family integration. And why is that? Well, it's because we've all grown up being accustomed to age segregation. This is where people are divided by age or station in life. And there is the belief that everyone needs a, quote, age-appropriate form of teaching, right? And, and it's not just even the idea of little kids, right? It goes to um, youth group, and we'll touch on that in a future episode here shortly. Uh, whether it's youth group, whether—that's not good enough. You've got college group. Well, then, not just college group, but then you have, well, I'm too old. I'm out of college, but I'm still single, so now we need a singles ministry. Then we have the young marrieds. Um, th then we have the parenting. Then we have the uh, then we have the seniors who all make, who are also distinct and separated, for, so they can be you know just among themselves. And again, this is not family. This is now uh, public school model way of doing church. And so you split everybody up, and, and we can recognize that we all do have some different reading and comprehension levels. We recognize that we are all at different levels. But this age-segregated model has not made us smarter, and it points, excuse me, it pools our ignorance in one place, rather than the dynamic biblical model of discipleship where older and more mature invest in and pull up those who are younger and less mature. 
You see, we, we need people who are different and further along than us so that we are stretched to grow and mature. Then you add in there the issues surrounding youth groups, and we add a whole other issue that we need to talk about. We need to talk about the issues related to uh, parental responsibility, parental authority for shepherding and caring for their children. We'll get into that. We'll talk a little bit more about this idea of of youth groups, of children's church. We've already touched on that a little bit, but we'll, we'll break some of those things down, and then we'll get more into this idea of family integration further. Some of the dangers, there is a pitfall here that we have to be mindful of. There's some bad uh, examples and, and a over, uh, an over-realized sense of patriarchy that is actually an, an error and opposed to what the Bible teaches. We need to talk about that. Uh, and then again, we'll get into those uh, ideas of encouragement of how, hey, at TFBC especially, uh, how, what's the best way to utilize this, this model? Um, how do we, because what I tell people is I, I believe that we are set up and, and the makeup of our church of being a multi-generational church um, that doesn't mean that we are a successful church and a good church. It means the environment is there for success. The environment is there for a a positive growth and discipleship of people. But if you're actually not using the system, if you're not engaging with the model, if you're, for instance, just showing up, but you're not being discipled, you're not discipling, you're not getting to know people other than the people that just are like you, et cetera, et cetera, um, then the model isn't really going to accomplish anything. The model is a tool, but if you don't actually use the tool, uh, then it's just sitting there on the shelf. Yeah, and I think when we think about discipleship, we're always thinking about specifically biblical theology instead of practical application of the Bible to every area of life. So if you're struggling with business, you've got men in the congregation that know business. If you're struggling with parenting, parenting, you've got people that know parenting. And it's this idea of whatever you're dealing with in this moment, you have resources and wisdom that you can tap into. And I love that some of the men take advantage of that with me. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful thing because it it makes me use the things that I've learned in a way that's effective. So it's a good model. It shows that God brought you along for a reason. For this reason. For this reason. Right. Um, but yes, that, that, that's extremely important. And so, uh, you know, isn't it amazing that the design is that each part of the body meets the needs of other parts of the body. Right. Each part of the body helps to compensate. Um, and so the, the the sharing of wisdom, the, the actual practical love and service that we show to each other, right. uh, all of those things are so important. And we believe that the way that um, we are setting things up in the, in the church is the best and uh, the best that we can understand. And, and we're working, we have to continue to work and improve and be thoughtful. Um, but also just, we see that these biblical principles and patterns and observations are seen from Old Testament to New Testament. And, and so we want to um, put them into practice and to employ them for ourselves. Well, that's all the time that we have for Truth today. And we want to thank you for joining us. Until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and His Church as we are sanctified in the truth. God's Word is truth. 